I just want to welcome you all to the first webinar of our Aussie Speaker Series. We're excited about this new series as we move forward to look at the areas of business, education, and culture between Australia and the U.S. I think it's going to be a great opportunity to share information and to also continue to build the great relationship we have between our two countries. So welcome. My name is Amy Conacher, and I'm the Executive Director of the Australian American Chamber of Commerce, and I'm excited to have you all with us today. Um, today, we're going to hear from Bruce Rutherford, who is with JLL, regarding returning back to work after COVID-19. Um, we're lucky that Bruce is the treasurer of the chamber, and so we have a lot of great resources within our own board, but he is also a well-respected well expert on the energy industry and the corporate real estate services sector with over 30 years experience. Bruce is an international director with JLL's tenant representation practice and serves as the global energy practice leader for the firm, and he draws on his experience in business consulting and is an expert in creating real estate solutions to complex business solution problems. So we couldn't have a bigger problem right now. So we appreciate your expertise, Bruce. Um, really quick before we begin, I just want to mention a couple of housekeeping items. I'm sure everyone is very familiar now with the virtual meeting platforms, but just want to let you know you've all been muted upon arrival. Um, and, at the, and this is for the benefit of Bruce so that he has an uninterrupted platform. Um, but we will have a Q&A, so the morning will be a slide presentation with a brief Q&A after each slide. And once questions are open, you can raise your hand using the raise hand feature of Zoom. If you are familiar with that, you just go to the participant list, click on your name, and you'll see a little um, option to raise your hand. And that will put your name to the top of the list, at which point when it's your turn, we'll unmute you. The other option is to use the chat tool and feel free to type your question in and I'll see those and read those out for Bruce to answer and we'll go on from there. So without any further details, Bruce, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you very much. Uh, some of you may be wondering why we're listening to a corporate real estate firm, an inv investment advisory firm about returning to work. I mean, this is a very timely topic. Most companies are thinking about returning to work next week and the coming three or four weeks. Uh, this is a big issue for JLL because we are, by all accounts, the largest managers of bricks and mortar in the world, managing properties for real estate investors in our leasing and management division, managing properties for corporate occupiers in our FM division. Uh, and we, we ourselves have over 800 offices around the world in 80 countries, so it's a big, big issue for us. I will tell you that this seems like a pretty easy issue, but on inspection and, and on getting involved with, rolling our sleeves and getting involved with it, we found it to be much more complicated than we had first anticipated. Please, as you go through these slides and hear what I have to say, think of this as a pre-vaccine, pre-COVID-19 cure real estate solution or best practices for those, those times. Once we have a vaccine, and I'm sure we will eventually, we will very likely see a dramatic change uh, in the best practices for dealing with COVID-19 in the office environment. So let's uh, jump right in, and, and Amy, if you could advance to the first slide, please. 
All right. I'm going to be sharing with you JLL and other companies established best practices for returning to work. And the first thing will be care packages that we will be handing out from the reception desk as employees arrive. Those will include hand sanitizers, masks. Uh, we will be probably handing out to them little packets uh, of things to keep at their desk for coffee, condiments, and things of that nature. Uh, as you will hear later, we're going to be closing a lot of the common areas in the office, including, including the coffee bar. Uh, we are asking our employees to keep their spaces safe and clean, and we're issuing special communications and protocols to them for doing so. And so when someone comes into the office for the first time, and probably every day for the first couple of weeks, they're going to get the same communication telling them how to keep their spaces clean, what we expect them to do at the beginning and the end of the day, and how to keep their social distancing. We will not, and most companies are not, abandoning work from home. Work from home will still be a major factor going forward for uh, a variety of reasons, not the least of which is to maintain social distancing in the office. Uh, this means a heavier reliance on IT, uh, visual and digital channels uh, going forward. And notice the next item is phased reopening. We do not intend to have everybody back at work immediately. In fact, right now, we, JLL, and most companies are asking employees to apply to return to work immediately and those and asking to identify those who can wait to return to work. Uh, some very large companies are returning only about 20%, 10 to 20% of their employees next week. ExxonMobil has already returned 10 to 20% of their employees, but will return the balance over the course of the next six weeks. So phased reopening is very much a best practice. Now, we mentioned earlier in the conversation about handing everyone hand sanitizers, uh, masks, gloves in some cases, we'll be handing out boxes of gloves as well. Uh, and there are other things that people will need like the coffee condiments that you're gonna keep at your desk and things of that nature. Please understand, we've already experienced supply chain interruptions. And our intent is particularly for safety-oriented, for disease control-oriented supplies, we're going to plan to keep a two-month supply uh, in our offices. And some of those vendors that are supplying us have gone out of business, and so we're already working to find replacement vendors and backup vendors. There is no guarantee that a vendor that is operational today will still be operational in eight weeks. So we're working to create backup vendors as best we can. Now, there are expectations uh, on the part of employees and on the part of, of management, which may not be realistic. Um, I gave this presentation for the first time in the last week of April and the first questions I got were on expectations. And they said, well, what do you mean? What kind of expectations are you talking about? Well, first of all, there are some employees that are going to come back to work and think that everything is back to normal, despite all the communications you give them. They're going to want to walk into another person's office and hang out in there and, 
and uh, defy the six foot or eight foot social distancing, whatever your company has, has prescribed. They're going to want to convene meetings in the conference room that vastly exceed those capacities that you have established as safe for your office. And on the flip side, there are going to be employees that are afraid to come back to the office, that are afraid of infections, and they may be key employees. Now, certainly you're gonna to want to, to accommodate those employees as much as you can with work from home. But you must expect that employees will deviate from your plans in both directions. Expectations on the part of management, in our experience, expectations never turn out to be exactly right. And so you must plan on deviations in both directions. Uh, questions before we move on to the next slide. All right, hearing none, let's move on to the next slide, Amy. Bruce, this is Ali. We do have oh, a question from Ali. Happy Tuesday, um, Ali. I'm good, thank you. Are you doing staggered um, start times for staff too? Yes, and you will see that on the next uh, couple of slides. There are a variety of ways to approach this uh, and a variety of ways for management to decide how to stagger the staff uh, in terms of uh, phases, shifts, etc. And there are a couple of pieces of software out there that can be very helpful in working on that. So we're going to cover that in a moment. That's an excellent question. Okay, great. Thank you. Bruce, I have a quick question for you. Yes. Um, just, and you may be covering this later, but given everyone's different attitudes towards reopening and comfort level, I guess, getting back into the workplace, how are you planning to handle those differences as far as people totally ready to go back and those that aren't? Will there be some type of understanding or um, gradual movement where people then have the ability to come in when they're ready? Yes. We're not demanding that people come into the office. Um, there are certain vital employees whose attention to details may require them to be in the office on occasion. Um, we're hoping that uh, they are willing to be in the office on those rare occasions when we need them. But we are allowing employees to continue to work from home uh, and work via other means by other means, you don't necessarily have to be at home. You could be in another venue and still, and still do your work, work from anywhere, if you will. But we are allowing employees to do that. Now, I will tell you our experience is that only about 25% of our employees want to continue to work from home indefinitely. About 50% of our employees are banging down the door to come back to work. Because that, now admittedly, uh, at least locally here in Houston, the demographics of our employees are a little older than they would be in a lot of your companies where you have a higher percentage of millennials. So our older employees in particular want to come back to work, but we are giving every employee the option. Now there are certain key employees, key to this re-entering process and key to our facilities management of our offices that we are working with to determine how much time they need to be in the office and when. And again, we're trying to do that in staged and shift managed uh, uh, protocols. 
Thanks, Bruce. Next slide, please. Social distancing may be the new uh, new hot word for 2020. And uh, we're finding that many companies have different social distancing requirements. But clearly almost everyone is at least, they're trying to keep employees at least six feet apart um, and creating distance between desks whenever possible. Uh, and we're using working from home to facilitate that. And Ali, this is getting to your question. We're, we're using shifts of employees and we JLL will be doing this. We'll be having some employees working Tuesday and Thursday, others Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and alternating in weeks working every other day in order to keep the density in the office and the social distancing uh, strategies in place. Now, the shift aspect can be done on a daily basis with half the employees coming in, say from eight to 12, and the other half of the employees coming in from say uh, eight, uh, one to five, for example, allowing a one hour, one hour uh, uh, overlap or one hour to clean the workstations in between. Again, we are not expecting to have employees, uh, multiple employees using the same workstation, but there are companies that are, and this creates a very significant uh, cleaning and sterilization requirement if you're having multiple employees using the same workstation, even in a shift manner. Now it can be done. We're, we're gonna be issuing uh, Clorox and Lysol cleansing uh, wipes, you know, these things that come in tubes and boxes to everyone, asking everyone to periodically clean their workstation, especially at the beginning of their day, before they touch anything, and at the end of the day, as they're at, just before they leave. Now, we may institute that in a more intense way if we feel the need. But if you are having employees sharing a workstation, one shift leaving, another shift coming in and using the same workstation, and there are many office environments where that will be necessary, you're going to have to have a very intense sterilization program at that workstation in order to keep peace of mind that you're not transmitting the, by bringing the virus into the office uh, inadvertently. Now, we may be reconfiguring some of our office, open area office spaces. We may be removing some workstations, at least temporarily, in order to create more distancing in those areas. We all know that for the last 20 years, at least, corporate America, corporate Europe, global corporate, has been squeezing more people into less space over and over again in order to reduce real estate costs. Spatial awareness and social distancing is working very much against that. Uh, and we are seeing that that will probably increase the need for real estate going forward. Now offsetting that are work from home and shift-based solutions to social distancing. We have yet to see how this is going to work out, but I can tell you that in places like New York City, it's already had a very dramatic effect very dramatic effect. Now, 
another issue we have found here is how do we keep track of what employees are in the office, have been in the office, if we have any incident of disease, what are we going to do about it? How do we keep track of that? Now there are devices you can put on every chair to tell you if that chair was occupied at any particular time. That's pretty expensive. Uh, we're, at least initially, we're going to be sending people around the office keeping track of who is where and when in the office and reviewing that data probably at least once a day, if not twice a day. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention early in the, in, the, uh, in the presentation, when people are coming into the office, we're planning to take their temperatures when they come into the office and recording that. And we're gonna be going back to that data. If we find someone was in the office, uh, they didn't have a temperature, and then they, we find somebody was in the office and the next day they report a temperature, we wanna be able to track who came in contact with that person that developed the temperature. And so this is why this enhanced data collection has become important to us. We didn't even think about this originally, but this is a big task, a big task. And so the, the duties that are falling to our uh, facilities management personnel and our reception personnel are dramatically larger now than they were before. Another thing that we're doing to maintain social dis distancing is that we're limiting the number of people that can be in a meeting. And we're not going to have any on-site client meetings at all. And if we have a meeting, in the office, we're going to limit it to five or less. And we're going to use meetings, meeting facilities like Zoom and Microsoft Teams to let other people participate in the meeting. And when we have people in, the, in a meeting, we're gonna make sure that they're sitting more than six feet apart. This is a, a way to be able to hold meetings, to have more face-to-face uh, -face contact, but still maintain social distancing. Um, clearly, what we're talking about doing is, is challenging collaboration going forward. Now, one of the big reasons the vast majority of our employees wanna be back in the office is so they can collaborate with their colleagues. And yet, we are going to be limiting their ability to be face-to-face, one-on-one with each other in offices and in conference rooms. We're closing our cafes, we're closing our office galleys, uh, we are not allowing people to go to the gyms in these office complexes for the time being. We're doing an awful lot that will limit collaboration and we're shifting that collaboration responsibility and, and that collaboration support function to technologies like the one we're using today. Questions before we move on? Hearing none, let's go to the next slide. Now, this is an example of how one would take uh, their floor plan, uh, a CAD drawing of their seating arrangements to work out an approach to shift implementation. Now, there are several architectural firms that have this kind of software available at very, very low cost. Gensler and PDR, are two of the best. PDR is a very large local firm. Gensler is the largest firm, architectural firm in the world with very large office here in Houston. Um, 
And so you can see what we have done here is we've taken a floor plan and we have color coded the seats based on a shift. And you could do this in a variety of different ways. Now, uh, Gensler and PDR also have programs that can draw a six foot, seven foot, eight foot, 10 foot circle around every seat. And that can help you determine which seats you might want to take out of service in order to maintain whatever social distancing uh, prerogative your company has chosen, whatever social distancing protocol your company has chosen. These software devices are, uh, these uh, software applications are available from these companies and they're very inexpensive. Now we are doing this on our own. We have this software internally and we would make this available to our clients, but it probably is not as flexible as the Gensler's and the PDR software would be. Questions on this? Ali, this is getting to your question again. All right, this must be so clear. We're moving on to the next slide. Now, facilities management, within JLL, facilities management is the organization that these responsibilities fall to. And for those companies that hire JLL to be their facilities manager, this is, this is where those companies look to. They look to JLL to create the protocols to develop the the uh, plans and, and the rules that everyone will follow in order to implement that company's uh, objectives for preventing the virus from spreading within their company. We've already pointed out that gyms, showers, locker rooms remain closed for the time being, because those are just wonderful places for disease to spread. And until we have a vaccine and or a cure, we're probably not going to reopen those internal facilities. Now, in, if we do open them, and when we do reopen them, it's only a matter of time, there will be dramatically enhanced cleaning and sterilization protocols for those facilities. Instead of once a day at the end of the day, we will undoubtedly be cleaning and sterilizing those facilities multiple times a day to make sure that we keep them as clean as possible. Cafeteria access is also limited. Now, we will probably uh, continue to allow people to have food delivered to the office, but we're, we're going to recommend to all of our clients that any internal cafeteria operations be extremely limited on a shift basis where People are coming in, they're phoning it down their order, they're picking up their order and taking it back to their office or back to a place where it's safe that they can eat it without interfering with someone else. This is very much replicating the to-go food service that you're getting when you pull up to a, to a, uh, a restaurant today and you, they bring your order out to you in a bag. Uh, and that mobile ordering, this is an obvious answer to that. HVAC is another issue here. Now, we would like to temporarily adjust the AC handling systems in buildings in order to segregate the AC handling on a floor-by-floor -floor basis and install ultraviolet light uh, uh, devices that will basically 
trap particles, hopefully trap viruses, although viruses are extraordinarily small, but submit the air to an ultraviolet light and other cleansing before it circulates to the office. Brand new office buildings do not have this capability. They were built to circulate the air throughout the building. That's a bigger challenge for them. Although some office buildings are already um, cleaning the air and treating it with ultraviolet light and other cleansing devices before it gets into the building, once it's in the building, it's circulating. Older buildings had floor by floor HVAC systems, which can be modified to clean the air on a floor by floor basis, which is more of what we want. So we are looking at every single building for every client and every single JLL office to determine what we can do to clean the air on a floor by floor basis. And there are individual air handling units on every floor, even, the, even in the brand new buildings. And we're looking at how we can use those air handling units to put uh, very strong filters and ultraviolet light and other cleaning devices on the air. Of course, every employee is going to have masks and personal protection equipment. We're providing those to them when they come in. We're going to be providing a supply to them in their office. Um, I will tell you one of the expectations is that a lot of employees don't want to wear the masks. I'm one of them. I've been wearing the mask when I've been, I've been going to visit clients on building tours where I have to wear the mask. I hate the damn thing. Uh, but we're going, there are going to be times when we're going to demand that employees wear the mask. Um, one of the issues that you're going to find in any building of yours that has multiple floors are the elevators. Now, if you own the building or you lease the building in its entirety, you're going to have the responsibility of determining how many people you allow into an elevator at one time. How often during the day are those elevators to be sterilized? Are the people in the elevators required to wear, to wear masks? The answer to that almost universally by all companies is yes. But elevators are going to be a very serious choke point for any multi-floor building, especially at noon. Our research shows it's not going to be in the morning and the evening when the choke point is the worst. It's going to be at noon when employees are going down to try to get a pickup lunch or whatever. Now to, to reverse that, we're gonna be encouraging employees to bring their lunch with them, to bring their bottled water with them, to bring a thermos of coffee with them so that they're not moving around and not going up and down the elevators any more than absolutely necessary. Uh, but you have got to understand that Elevators are going to be a major problem, and this leads you to visitor protocol. When, a when someone comes to your office, in our case, we're gonna take their temperature. We have those devices that you put on people's forehead to tell you their temperature. If they're running a temperature, they will not be admitted, no matter what. If they're fine, then they're gonna get all the same communications, all the same PPE, we're gonna issue them masks if they don't have a mask. They better have a mask, they probably will have to have a mask just to get in the elevator, get in the building. Uh, but we'll issue whatever they need to them. And if they have to go into a conference room, and, and frankly, we're gonna discourage all of that. I mean, we're gonna really do everything we can to deal with visitors, deal with clients and vendors, via meetings like this 
virtually via meetings like this uh, and limit the amount of personal contact that goes on. And then of course, we talked about keeping PPE in inventory. We talked about that already. And this entire conversation is a new focus on wellness that has been enhanced, that has been emphasized to a degree that's never been done before as a result of the COVID-19 virus. Uh, there is a certification for buildings called Well Buildings that do everything to keep their uh, buildings clean, sanitized, their air clean, uh, do everything they can to track disease in the buildings. And we are re-emphasizing that for our entire portfolio of leased, managed, and facilities managed properties and our own offices. Wellness is becoming a real hot button in the real estate business. Questions before we move on? I got to drop off, Bruce, but thanks very much. That was great. All right, Greg. Thank you. Have a great, have a great Tuesday. See you soon. Thank you. Uh, I'll Bruce, see you there. Have you have you got a question? I have. Are you following um, for some of this implementation of protocols, CDC guidelines? So where are you gaining the information to implement some of these protocols? The uh, CDC is one of our main uh, sources of protocols, but we're also using um, United States Army uh, responses. We have several of our executives who are high level Army Reserve people who have supplied us with uh, information from within the Army as to how to deal with uh, disease environments, you know, going back to even going back to the 1918-1919 uh, flu uh, epidemic. I mean, one of the interesting things is that a lot of fresh air seems to be a big help. And so when we look at air control on a floor-by-floor -floor basis, we're wondering, should we increase the amount of fresh air that comes into the floor, as an example? That comes from the Army. Uh, so these are the sources of, of these. And of course, we've consulted. We have literally thousands of facilities management and leasing and management clients that we're conferring with. And we're bringing their thoughts together in a central place and then rolling them out as our own best practices. Okay, that's really, that's really interesting that we, you're using the military. Well, you know, the military's had, they've learned the hard way how to deal with uh, disease in large numbers, you know, in crowded spaces of large numbers of people. All right. Bruce? Yes, yeah, Bruce, I was um, uh, wondering how uh, much you changed this protocol uh, from state to state. Obviously, there's a big difference in the impact of this COVID in New England versus Texas. You Correct. have to Correct. change your uh, protocol uh, around the country or the world? We are, giving, uh, we are giving our management teams on a state by state and local uh, management teams a lot of latitude in how they institute this. Uh, you know, now we don't happen to have an office in any of the Texas counties that have, haven't had a single case of COVID-19. We don't happen to have any offices there. Uh, but we do have offices, you know, in places where the disease is 
far less rampant than it is, say, in New York. And so in New York, some of these things that we're doing uh, will be even more stringent than what I have described to you. In New York, the phased uh, uh, restart will be slower than it will be in Houston. Uh, same will be true in Chicago. What we have found is that in those major cities with significant mass transit, there is a higher risk of a resurgence of the COVID-19 than in cities that do not employ mass transit. And we're seeing that the mass transit cities, I mean, the, the office space in New York City, in Manhattan is performing the worst of all office space in the United States because of their inherent density and because of their reliance on mass transit. So we're treating mass transit cities, New York, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, the top three, we're treating them with greater care and concern and slower transition to return to work than other places. I can tell you that. Now, there may be other specific differences that I'm not aware of uh, in other places, uh, but we're, you know, we're trying to make sure everybody is very careful about this. We are also extremely concerned about a reoccurrence. The virus seems to be you know, waning now. By all accounts, it's waning. But we're very concerned about a reoccurrence. And again, the military warned us about their experience with the 1918-19 flu epidemic. There was a serious reoccurrence. After the summer and the, it all seemed to go away, there was a very serious reoccurrence in the fall and the winter that was worse than the first dose. And the military has warned us about that. Thanks, Bruce. Now, the other thing to mention here is temperature uh, by region. So far, the information we have says that the virus does not do well in temperatures above 80 degrees Fahrenheit. And so we may be, uh, I don't know this is, this is absolutely true, but I think that our attitudes to returning to the office and the protocols we have in Minneapolis, as an example, will be different from those in Houston and different from those in San Antonio and in El Paso and in Phoenix and in San Diego, for example. Other questions? All right, Amy, could we go to the next slide? I think it, it, it's, more than obvious to everybody that cleaning and janitorial routines are going to be dramatically more robust going forward. Um, we are going to be asking our landlords where we are leasing space to enhance the cleaning. And let me tell you, the restrooms are going to be a major focus because everybody's got to go to the restroom in the course of the day. And we haven't figured out what are we gonna do? Are we gonna ask everybody to hold it until there's nobody else in the restroom? I mean, <laughs> it's not an easy problem. <laughs> uh, but we want those restrooms cleaned repeatedly during the course of the day. And we're gonna be asking our employees to clean their workstations, to sterilize their workstations with Clorox and Lysol uh, wipes on uh, at least at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day and potentially at other times during the day. 
Now the janitorial cleaning that we're gonna be asking the, the building to do is going to be much more so-called deep cleaning using sterilization rather than just a cleaning of the surfaces. And doorknobs, entry doors, places that are high traffic areas have to be cleaned completely. We're not just cleaning the handles. We're gonna ask them to clean everything on a periodic basis. And we're going to provi provide medical, medically qualified disposal for masks and gloves throughout the organization uh, so that when you get, you know, when you're through with a mask, it doesn't go in the trash can, it goes in the medical disposal uh, container. Um, questions? It strikes me that something I forgot to mention earlier on, one of our protocols uh, that we're going to be establishing in the office is one-way traffic in the hallways. So all of our aisles are now one-way and we're putting up directional signs. We don't want people passing each other in the hallways and these hallways were typically designed to building code standards at five feet. In the future, we think these hallways for new offices will be designed to a standard of six to eight feet. Again, this argues for a lot more real estate than in the past, but we're doing everything we can to keep people in a social distanced uh, configuration, even when they're walking in the hallways. Now, questions before we move on. All right, next slide please, Amy. So this is now time for us to wrap up with any final questions. I'm going to begin by saying to you, remember these are pre-vaccine, pre-cure protocols. Once we have a vaccine and once we have a cure, we will likely uh, be saying to all of our employees, we want you to get a vaccine, we will pay for it, we'll bring people into the offices to give people the vaccine in the office. That's what we are likely to do. That is not a decision, but I can tell you that I'm one that would have us doing that to make sure that our employees are safe. In the past, we have offered them free flu shots in the office. We have not demanded that they get a flu shot. And I'm not sure that we can legally demand that they accept a vaccine, but we're gonna offer it to them. I am sure we're gonna take it Take the same attitude we have with flu shots and offer them flu shots for free in the office and vaccines for free in the office. Other questions? We have a question from Allie. Yes, Allie. Allie, are you there? Are you on mute? We're not hearing your question. Go ahead, Allie. There we go. Um, I was saying, Bruce, this is a, a robust uh, protocol that you're implementing. Now, it sounds like it could be very costly to some organizations to implement the type of protocols that your company is going to implement. Do you think other companies will have to look at their budgets on how they will implement maybe a different type of protocol? 
I think you're right. This is definitely adding to the cost of every one of JLL's offices, and I'm sure it will add to the cost of every one of our clients' uh, facilities. Um, I honestly do not have any information on what that cost increase will be. But in our case, we consider it a necessary cost to do business. I mean, if we can't get back into the office and be uh, more valuable to our clients, we're not going to stay in business. And now we do hope we are planning for the worst and hoping for the best. We hope that there will be a vaccine and a cure for the COVID-19, which will lead to vaccines and cures for any of its mutants that come up in the future. But we have to learn from this. We have to learn how to deal with this. This is not going to be the only one we have. I guarantee you, you can take this to the bank. There are going to be other shocks to our economic system like the COVID-19 and, and the resulting oil bust. The oil bust is a direct effect of the COVID-19 virus. There will be other shocks like this. Hell in Houston will have new hurricanes and floods and things of that nature. So uh, I have recently written a white paper advising companies on how to prepare for new pandemics and new shocks. Uh, and we are going to do the best we can to learn from this so that the next time this happens, we are better prepared and we are vastly more efficient in how we deal with this. One of the things that's absolutely clear to us now is that a very significant percentage of employees are having their work life environments changed. There is a percentage of employees that have now gotten used to working at home and they wanna to continue to do so. The vast majority of employees want to return to work. They like their working environment and they wanna be in that working environment at least three, if not four days a week or not five. But there's a significant number that want to work from home and we are going to accommodate them as best we can. We're gonna make them as efficient as, they, as we can. We're still studying how the, what, what hits to efficiency we have taken from working from home as opposed to being in a nor, more normal environment. I think I've strayed from your question, Ali, but uh, hopefully I've given you some new information. Yeah, and is it, are the government providing any financial assistance to companies to implement these types of protocols or? Well, the so-called PPP loan program, that's, uh, what is that? That's the uh, Payroll Protection Program. Uh, you can get up to two and a half months of your payroll on that program. And if you spend that money on payroll, uh, that money is forgiven by the government. Now, we, JLL, have not applied for that. It's intended for small businesses, for businesses of 500 employees or less. We have not applied for that, but I know of many small businesses who have. Some have received the money and some haven't. So a lot, a lot of it had to do with how quickly they got into the program and how efficiently they filled out the paperwork. Uh, but that money will be forgiven by the federal government if you use it for payroll. Now, there are other small business loans out there, but they are full-fledged loans. You got to pay those back. They, are not, they don't convert to grants like the PPP program. Okay. Thanks, Bruce. I think Colin has a comment. Oh, yes. 
a uh, Bruce, very informative, uh, and thank you very much. You know, you're probably aware, well aware that my company, Halliburton, is looking at actually closing down some facilities and buildings and uh, having people work from home on a permanent basis and using hot desks or hotel space, uh, you know, in existing uh, or other parts of the, the campus. Uh, uh, of course, that's a reaction to the, the poor uh, oil price and, and uh, financial uh, stresses, uh, but it may put some stress on finding space in the office when one needs to. Uh, are you seeing that trend at all? Uh, hot desks, uh, which is obviously people working in close, typically working in close proximity, doesn't seem like it's the right way to go. Hot desking is being implemented only in conjunction with social distancing. So they're using, people are using that software that we described earlier to say, okay, I wanna keep a six foot or an eight foot or a 10 foot distance around every desk. And so which desks uh, can I use for that purpose? And which am I going to, uh, in a, I'm gonna use the phrase red line, put an X across them and say, no one can use them. Uh, and so you keep people apart that way. And that applies even to the concept of hot desking. But if you use hot desking, you must be sanitizing that desk after every use, at least until we are confident that the employees are not, there's no chance they're bringing the virus into the office. So hot desking is, uh, another thing that we're seeing is uh, people are saying, well, look, I'm gonna send my employees to a shared workplace environment like WeWork or Convene or people like that. A lot of companies are very reluctant to do that because they don't know how clean that environment is. And they don't know who their employees might come in contact with there. And now keep in mind, those environments are typically from a real estate perspective, expensive on a per square foot rent basis. So we're saying to our clients, look, if you want to bring people together for a very important meeting, Let's use your existing meeting space in your primary office areas to the extent you can and have other people participate virtually in a meeting like this, like the one we're having, so that you have those kinds of meetings. There will be people who are going to use social, uh, excuse me, shared workplace environments. Our expectation is the shared workplace environment uh, industry is going to shrink by about half. It'll still exist, it'll still perform a function, but it's going to be half of what it once was, maybe less. And companies are going to be much more reluctant to use it because of these health issues. Thanks, Bruce. Ali, okay. did you have another question? It's just a comment. Uh, it's just a comment, really, Bruce. If you've got any thoughts, especially at UHD, when we the students return in the fall, there won't be any classes during the summer, and especially <clears throat> going into classrooms. Our classrooms were very limited on space, and normally you have back-to-back -back classrooms. So it'd be interesting to see how they implement a cleaning process between those classrooms and classes going into there. We have thought about that um, in connection with our own meeting space and the use of our own workstations. And we have thought about the responsibility that each employee and substitute student for employees' responsibility to clean their space that they were using 
during their meeting or i.e. class uh, attendance. So there may be a very large supply of sanitary wipes uh, available as the student comes in. They grab the sanitary wipes, clean their workspace. And when they leave, they clean their workspace, their, their desk again. Uh, they may be required to wear masks for the time being. Now, another major issue here that we're wrestling with is the demographics of our employees and substitute the word students for employees. We know that employees over 60 years of age and particularly over 65 years of age are dramatically more susceptible to the virus than the ones in their 20s and 30s. We also know that there are a lot of people who have contracted the virus and been asymptomatic and they have the antibodies in their system. So we're, we're contemplating, can we get those people tested, identified, and can we encourage them to uh, have their antibodies harvested in their plasma and made available to other people? But once we know they have the antibodies in their system, we're a lot more comfortable about having them in the office. On the other hand, take me. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys over 60 years of age. While I'm in excellent health, I'm not necessarily a high-risk candidate. I'm of an age group that is high-risk. And so what are we, JLL, going to do about checking on me a lot more frequently than we check on a 30-something employee? A lot more frequently. And I'm going to be happy to comply with that. I'm not going to argue if they want to take my temperature twice a day, if they want to track my comings and goings a lot more carefully than they would say who is 30 years of age, I am okay with that. Now, some people might not be, but I am one who would be. Now, when you think about a student body, consider the demographics of the student body, and then consider the demographics of your professors and your administrators. We are probably going to stratify our protocols on that basis. And I suspect you will too. Thanks, Bruce. <clears throat> uh, Bruce, Thank you, Bruce. Uh, yes, Colin. Oh, sorry, did I interrupt? Yes, I thought yeah. you had something to say. Yeah, uh, all you yeah, have I was to do is with, clear uh, your throat, and I listen. <laughs> well, look, I was speaking with somebody at Lionel Bassell. Uh, they said all their employees uh, uh, will be issued thermometers, and they can self-test as frequently as they want. Uh, did JLL look at that option? Uh, I know yes, thermometers and other people. Well, get, yes, we did. Yes, we did. First of all, there is a giant cost associated with that. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of thermometers. And they're not supposed to be reused for fear of, you know, communicating disease. And so we're going to have those handheld devices, which can be wiped, sterilized every time we put it to your forehead and we check you. Uh, and, we're, and we think it's safer for us to have our facilities management reception people checking, taking note of what your temperature is at that time of day, uh, who you are, et cetera, and keeping a log of that than it is relying on employees to self-test and probably never report if they do test. That's our approach. Good. Thank you. Does anyone have any final questions? I'm conscious of the time. It's now we have a few minutes remaining if anyone has any further questions or comments for Bruce before we wind up. 
Uh, Amy, we are going to make uh, a video of this or a, a tape of this available, are we not? That's correct. So what we will do after the conclusion of this is we will post it on the Chamber website. We have a page that's for the, noted as the Aussie series and it will be listed there as one of the options to listen to and watch. Very good. Yeah. Okay, well, well it looks all. it thank you. It looks like everyone is um, has had the information they need. So Bruce, I want to thank you for a really outstanding and informative session. We're really in such unprecedented times that it's reassuring to have resources and information and expertise to draw from as we begin our new normal. So I really well, want to thank you. In the interest of full disclosure, uh, you must all realize I am merely a talking head for JLL. It's JLL's research and homework on this that I'm spouting. I'm not this smart, I guarantee you that. <laughs> well, we appreciate you sharing the information with us um, from JLL, and we thank them for sponsoring the webinar as well. So right. thank you very much. We wanna thank everyone for attending the session today. If you have further questions, both of our email addresses for Bruce and myself are on the screen. And please remember, remember that we have other webinars coming up. We have our sundowner this Thursday where we have the Australian ambassador to the US speaking with Peter McGarren. And we have Geraldine Slattery from BHP um, talking with Christina Stave, our vice president. So that will be great. And we have other events rolling out throughout May and June. So check our website and I hope you all have a great day. Thanks again, Bruce. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. We would like to thank our generous sponsors for supporting the Chamber, BHP, United Airlines, the Australian Consulate General Houston, Platypus Brewing, Chevron, JLL, Macquarie, Worley, Air New Zealand, the Energy Conference Network, the Fervid Group, Rystad Energy, and UHD Maryland Davies College of Business. Without their support, our programs would not be possible.